for your word. It's living, it's active, it's powerful. So God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, I pray, God, that you will enlighten our hearts, enlighten our minds, help us to apply it to our lives, this living, this powerful, this active word of yours that we're so grateful for in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, uh, Elias, will you bring me that red bag that's back there? For, right on, keep going the other way. It's on the floor. Thank you. I forgot to bring something up with me. Um, this, I wanted to show you guys something. Uh, by the way, I'm not as much of a Scrooge as I come off to be. I do, I do enjoy Christmas. I like especially the family part and all that stuff. Um, and the Jesus part, obviously the Jesus part. Well, I just wanted to, I wanted to bring this. This is something that I keep in my, uh, beginning to, keep in my car. Anybody have any idea what this, this might be? Exactly. This is my emergency preparedness kit. Now, I got to tell you, filling this, filling this bag has been really a, probably kind of a month's, months in the making. Really, my wife was nagging, I mean, not nagging, but, but really encouraging me uh, to get this thing filled with the stuff that I would need in the event of an earthquake. So I've got, or whatever might happen, probably an earthquake, fire, who knows, but I've got things in here. I've got extra clothes in here. I've got mass. I've got water in here. I've got an, I've got entire, let me see. I've got a kit, an emergency kit. I've got, oh, that's embarrassing. I've got, um, I've got, um, let me see. I've got cash in here. I've got some pills, different things. I got all this stuff in order that I will be prepared. I got to tell you though, I had the reason I haven't been very motivated to fill this bag um, because, uh, quite frankly, I haven't really had a sense of urgency. I haven't had the sense of urgency that I need this. You know, we're all the way. The big one's coming. How long have we heard that kind of thing? So I kind of feel the same way. I haven't had this sense of urgency, but that's my reality. Well, this morning, we are going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that speaks directly to not only the urgent necessity of being prepared, but what it actually looks like to be prepared, along with actually uh, the devastating consequences of not being prepared. Okay? Last time, if you remember a couple weeks ago, um, we were talking, Jesus was talking to us about this same kind of thing, and we began to look at what Jesus had to say about what our lives should look like as followers of Jesus in order to be considered truly ready for his return. This is what he's been talking about, his, the time he's going to come back, okay? And he used this parable, or he used this, this story to help illustrate his point. It's a story, remember, it was of a servant, and he get, a servant could be either uh, wicked, or he said they could be faithful and wise. Remember, he said that if a servant is considered faithful and wise, and they'll be give, that's given charge over the responsibilities of master's household. Now, if he's wise, he knows that his master could come home at any time. He knows that it could happen. So what he does, he shows that he's trustworthy by fulfilling all of his master's expectations of him, okay? And the feeding of everybody, the oversight of everybody. And when his master, remember it said his master returns unexpectedly, he finds him doing what he was asked to do. So remember, he's rewarded. He's given even greater responsibility. Okay? But remember, he said that the servant that is wicked, when the servant is wicked, it's, this is the kind of person that's thinking, ah, he's not going to come home for a while. My master's not going to be back for a while, so hey, party time. 
So he parties. He even says that. He parties. He even abuses his fellow servants that he's been, uh, been put in charge of. But he doesn't expect his master to return. But remember the story? His master returns unexpectedly, and he receives severe judgment. You see, we talked about how neither one of these slaves knew when the master would return. But for the one that was faithful, it didn't matter. It didn't matter when he was, because he was always going to be ready. Come now, that's fine. We even sing that song. Think about how we sing, come Lord Jesus, come. Are we really ready for that? Looks like the slave, or this, this the servant. Could he have said, come back, master, you can come today. I'm fine with that. One of them could. One of them was able to do that. But really, it's the one, it's the one that, who suffers is the one that doesn't worry about it. The, the one who suffers the consequences is the one who's not thinking about it. The point that Jesus was making is, as his followers, we are to be ready spiritually and mentally for him to return at any time. And what this means is that we are supposed to be about faithfully fulfilling our master's expectations of us by living out our calling as true believers. Remember, we, I have the slide from last time, what, when, what that looks like. It looks like being actively pursuing intimacy with him. I mean, to be actively praying for and looking for opportunities to share our faith with others and to actively be involved in making disciples or helping other people be more like Jesus. This is a picture of a faithful follower of Jesus. Not that's doing perfectly in everything, not that not making mistakes in these things, but this is the litmus test, if you will, for a true follower of Jesus. Well, this week we're going to look at a second parable, okay? A second parable Jesus tells to further illustrate the importance of being prepared for his return. And it's really one that teaches us that preparedness for Jesus' return. By the way, you'll notice I'm trying something a little new this week. I've given you a little handout, a little fill-in-the-blank handout. If you didn't get one, you can just raise your hand. One of the guys in the back will get you one. So if you want to follow along, that you, those of you a little more ADD that need a little help, that's totally fine. I want to do whatever help can to help you. So you don't have to do it. This is not homework. You're not going to turn it in or anything like that. It's just a little extra help if you would like to have that. So the first one is preparedness for Jesus' return is essential because the truth is that the time is coming when getting ready will no longer be possible. Okay? It's essential to be ready because there'll be a time when getting ready will no longer be possible. That's what he's trying to say in this. So let's look at how this has to relate to us. Let's start by looking at this parable, the story talk. Look at verses 1 through 6. It's on the, on the, up on the screen, on your paper, in your Bibles. No excuse not to have that in front of you, okay? There you go. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was and as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Now, first it's important that we kind of understand what a wedding, the, kind of get a picture of what a wedding looked like, a typical Jewish wedding. In the first century, really a wedding was, we talked about this once before when we were talking about when Jesus talked about the wedding feast, remember? This was a, a huge event. 
in the town. Typically, the whole town was invited to these weddings that would happen in Jewish culture back then. And they would often go on for days, okay, for days. And really, it was probably the greatest social celebration that these people had a picture of. There really was nothing, they couldn't picture anything more celebratory than a wedding, so that's the picture of what was going on. How And now, these weddings typically would take place at night. And what would happen is the bride and the bridegroom would parade through the town in this uh, lamp-lit procession, okay? And these lamps that were usually on the end of a pole, what they'd ha- they had to be constantly filled and supplied with oil. So that's the picture that we get here, okay, of going through town with this, these oil lamps parading them through the town, okay? This big celebration going on. Now, here's an interesting thing. Look, and as you notice in this passage here, there's no mention of a bride. There's no mention of a bride here. What this does is it tells us that the focus of this parable is on the bridegroom and on the ten virgins. Okay, so that's what we got in our head. That's where the focus of this needs to be, okay? That these ten virgins, what they are is they're friends or relatives of the bride and the bridegroom whose role, like I said, is to escort them in this lamp-lit procession to the house where the wedding feast was going to happen. After the ceremony was done and all that, then they would go to this place where they would just, the feasting and the, I mean, the partying would happen. This is, this is where they really had a lot of fun, Okay. So we here see that Jesus here makes a division between, between those virgins who were foolish and those virgin, virgins who are wise, okay? And this seems to really be the only difference between them, okay? They're, they're, everything else seems the same, and all other ways are the same. They all have lamps. They all intend on meeting the bridegroom as, and escorting him to the house. They're all looking forward to being a part of this great wedding feast. They all fall asleep, when he delays. So everything's the same. Everything looks the same. Everybody seems to be on the same page. Yet where they differ is their preparedness. That's the second one on there on your sheet. Where they differ is in their preparedness. Okay? The foolish, although they had these lamps, they had the right lamps. They were ready to go. Once again, they looked completely equipped like everybody else. They did not have with them the necessary supply of oil to keep these lamps lit if the bridegroom were to take longer than expected. And from what everything I read, that happened a lot. You know, they didn't have watches. They were, oh, oh, the procession's supposed to start. No, they'd be having a good time enjoying one another. And these virgins would be sitting there waiting for it to happen. Oftentimes they had no idea, none whatsoever, when the bridegroom was going to come. So that's the picture that we have here. It's precisely what happens with what Jesus says here. Now, once again, as with the parable of that wise and that wicked servant that we looked at, this this, this specific, once again, parable is about being ready or prepared for Jesus' return. Okay? So, and who Jesus is predicted here as the bridegroom. The bridegroom in this parable is Jesus. Okay? And the wedding feast, this wedding feast represents his second coming. Okay, that's what this represents. It's this time where we talked about when Jesus will return as this conquering king and he'll bring justice to the world and he'll defeat evil once and for all. You can look at it in Revelation chapter 19. talks all about it. Now these wise virgins, the wise virgins in this parable who came prepared with the oil, they symbolize true followers of Jesus. Okay? 
This is who they're supposed to, to symbolize. Those who are, as we saw last week, what I just talked about, who are faithfully fulfilling by the power of the Holy Spirit their responsibility to Jesus, their responsibility as being, doing what God has asked us to, living a life like we has asked us to live. That's what those virgins, the, the, the wise virgins represent. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're going, okay, Rob, is this like just sermon last time, barely 2.0? What's going on here? I mean, we're, sounds like we're saying some of the very same stuff. It sounds like it's the same message as two weeks ago when I preached last. Have we already been there? Yep. We have already been there. But here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing we got to remember about the words of Jesus, okay? Here's this very important. There's always a reason why, if he's going to repeat something, if Jesus repeats something, and this is the next thing in your notes, if Jesus repeats something, it means two things. What he has to say is extremely important, okay? If he's going to say it again, it is very, very important. And the second thing, it's probably a point that he thinks that we might easily forget. He knows. He knows our minds. And he knows this is something I've got to repeat. Listen carefully. So when we see something that seems familiar, I, know for, I don't know if you're anything like me. I'm reading the Bible. I'm going, yeah, yeah, I kinda, I, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I kind of get, you know, sometimes you go, they say the same thing over and over again. There's a reason for that. God knows our minds. He knows our hearts. And this could be something I could easily forget. So I need to pay attention. I need to sit up straight in my chair, as it were. And I really need to listen carefully or read carefully. So that's what he's saying here. So don't go, okay, last week this will be kind of the same. No. This is very important. There's other stuff that he has to tell us. See, we, we most likely uh, are not expecting a delay. Like these, like these um, uh, virgins, they're not expecting a delay from the bridegroom. All these girls fall asleep. Yet at midnight, remember, here comes this cry that, hey, the bridegroom, the bridegroom is coming. It's time to get up. It's time to meet him. This is once again meant to illustrate, as we saw last time, the unknown, the unexpected, sudden nature of Christ's return. That's what he's talking about here, okay? Let's look, let's, keep, let's look, see what happens. Let's continue on here. Look at verses 7 through 9. Then all those virgin, virgins, virgins, virgins rose up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. Which is kind of facetious to say it's midnight, go shopping. Like that's, like that's really going to work. So in hearing this bridegroom, they hear that the bridegroom is approaching, and all these virgins get up and they prepare their lamps. But the foolish ones, they see that their lamps are going out. Uh-oh, these things are going out. We don't have enough oil. We better ask these other ones for it. And they ask them. See, they just make a legit, hey, can we borrow some of your oil here? Now, you got to see, that, I don't know about you, but this response seems a little wild, seems a little selfish to me by the ones that have all this oil. I mean, come on, surely they can spare a little bit of oil for their, their fellow bridesmaids, right? Can they just give them a smidge? I'm sure we'll, we'll all be able to handle it. They seem to be pretty hard-nosed, don't they? No. You go get your own. That doesn't seem very loving, Jesus. Why are you adding these, these, this attitude in there? 
Here's the thing. Remember, we've talked about parables before. We talked about how they can, they just, they're, earth, they, they're earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, which Jesus frequently used to really bring home a point, to really hammer home a point. And so for that reason, it's important to remember that a lot of things that happen in a parable don't always happen according to real life. It's important to remember that. Oftentimes, things that are happening in a parable, are the details are exaggerated in order to drive home a point. You see, and here's, the, here's how this one works. Like these wise girls' complete unwillingness, their total unwillingness to share any oil with those in need, their hard-nosed response, what it's meant to do, it's, it's meant to invite us to reflect on this truth, the truth that and this is once again in your notes, that spiritual preparedness is not something that others can provide for you. It's not something that others can provide for you. In other words, when it comes to truly being prepared for the second coming of Jesus, when it, when we're, to, know that we're, to know that we know that we are ready, we can't count on the preparedness of other people. We just can't. Jesus is saying it's a big mistake to believe that just because I associate with church or church people or I go to church regularly or I go to Bible studies even, or that I even do these spiritual practices, or that I pray to prayer one day. He's saying, don't be assumed that those things, those activities will aid you in entering the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this is, this is the theology of American Christianity, isn't it? I show up, I try my best, I try not to be a bad person, I pray, I worship. I, I did say that one prayer ask, asking Jesus into my heart. Uh, we're all good. Fire insurance is had. We're all, we're all good. And we think that we're truly a believer. Where what we've seen so much in this series in Matthew, that's so not the case. That's so not the case. So as we're going to see even further as he takes this even further. Okay, Jesus is saying it's that's a big mistake to assume that a relationship with God cannot be borrowed. It can't. A relationship with God cannot be borrowed. Okay. So that's a big mistake to think that. It must be an individually possessed. It has to be something that we possess. And you know this. Most of you in this room, you totally know this. We have to individually possess a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It just doesn't. The Bible tells us, and truly, in order to be saved from this, this prison of our sinful nature, to be freed from that, to be free from sin, we must confess and I'm kind of paraphrasing now Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Many of us know that verse. What he's saying is to really be a believer, we must confess or declare the fact that Jesus is our Lord and our master. And we need to believe that the power of God that raised him from the dead is now available to us. That's salvation. That's, that's it. Nothing else. That is salvation. Are you going through a tough time? Are you going through difficult stuff? Are there things in your life that seem so difficult and you wonder where is God in all this? If you have confessed that Jesus is the Lord and master of your life, you can know that you can know that you can know that he is for you, that he's working on your behalf, that he loves you, that he, you're the apple of his eye. You might not understand why the heck things are going the way they are, but you can know that if he's the master of your life, 
And you constantly remind yourself of that. That's a truth that is so powerful that it will get you through anything. It won't make things easier necessarily, but it'll give you the hope of knowing that I'm a child of the king. No matter what my health situation is like, no matter what my marriage is like, no matter what my family situation, no matter my job situation, I have the king of the universe. You guys, that should impact, I'm off-roading now, we should, that should impact our worship time. Think about it. When you sing songs like we sang this morning, and we sing songs about who Jesus is, that should bring us like to another realm. I'm not saying you have to all of a sudden be, you know, all like that's how you worship now, but I'll be demonstrative. But I am saying it should do something to your heart. It should do something to your mind. It should do something to how you think about your, your circumstances. Because it takes the focus off us and it puts the focus on the king, our master, that I have declared with my mouth. I said, yes, I believe you are my king. You are my Lord. You are my master. Therefore, I don't have to worry. Therefore, the God of the universe is on my side. Can you see how that changes how we worship God and how we approach things? I'm not saying it makes us all pain on a smile. We need to cry. We need to weep. We need to mourn with each other. We need that. And I hope you all have someone in your life you can do that with. But we also need to remember the truth of who we belong to. This is a fundamental foundation of being prepared for the return of Jesus. Want to be prepared? We have to have this mindset. Jesus now goes on to tell the consequences of not being prepared. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, And while they were going, going to buy their, their oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him in the marriage, into the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins came also, say, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. So we see that the girls that are prepared, the virgins that are prepared, they get the bridegroom comes, they get to go right on in with him into the feast. While the unprepared girls, not only do they miss the bridegroom, okay? Not only do they miss the bridegroom, but they aren't even able to enter. They're not even allowed to go into the feast, so it's not only like, oh, darn, we missed him. Let's go. Knock on the door. Can we come in? No, they just miss out altogether, he says. Now, this, this might seem harsh, doesn't it? It seems like, wait a second. They were a part of the wedding party. They looked like everybody else. It was, they were prepared, it looked like, because they looked the same. Remember? They had all that stuff. But once again, the harshness of the closing of this door is meant to symbolize something. This is a parable. It's meant to symbolize the final separation between those who are inside and those who are outside the kingdom of heaven and will receive final judgment. Man, that sounds harsh, and the world hates to hear that message, but it's the truth. That's, this is the judgment of a holy and perfect God here. In proclaiming that the bridegroom doesn't know them, when he says, I don't even know you, what Jesus is saying is something that he said similarly. If you remember months ago, back in chapter 7, when he spoke, when he's speaking of those who think that they're insiders, when we talked about this, insiders versus outsiders, look at Matthew chapter 7. If you remember about that, it says, not, not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, this is that day he's talking about, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all sorts of great Christian stuff? Didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? I went to the women's Bible study. I went on that missions trip. I tithed every single month, doggone it. And <laughs> I did all these things in your name. And what happens? And Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. Ouch. You see, the failure of these girls to be prepared with enough, enough oil in this parable is meant to illustrate or symbolize for us a false relationship with Jesus. They had a false relationship, okay? No matter how much they appeared to be a part of the wedding party, in the end, due to their lack of preparedness, we see that the bridegroom says to them that he never even knew who they were. I never recognize you. I have no idea who you are. They're thinking, oh, wait. We were with the other five. I don't understand. They may have dressed like them. They had all the proper equipment. They looked like them. They shared. Here's the interesting thing. I bet these, in this parable, if, you, if I were to add to Jesus' word, which is not good, but I will, um, I bet they were just as enthusiastic and excited about the bridegroom and the wedding, and they were excited about it all. All of the trappings and all of the things about the wedding and the feast was really exciting to them. They were really, they were really into it. Yet because they were not truly prepared for his coming, they're not even allowed to participate in the feast. Okay? Because they were never actually known. The bridegroom never knew them. And all along they thought, of course we're in. Of course we're a part of this party. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? There's, it's gonna, why wouldn't he? It makes perfect sense that he would think that we're a part of this. But he says, no. And this speaks again to the assumption that many people have that they are a part of the kingdom of heaven simply because they've done or they say things that seem to be the right things to say or to do, yet their heart has never been changed. You guys, this is a message that we as a church need to hear on a regular basis. Has our heart been changed? Truly been changed? It's so easy for us. I don't know about you, but I get very performance oriented and I want to make sure I'm doing all the right things and looking like I'm, a, to myself at least, appearing that I'm doing all the things I should be doing. And that's okay. But then we base our entire standing with God on those things. And we feel like if we fail, oh, how can God see me as righteous? That's when we got to say, okay, my thinking about my standing with God is a little messed up. I need help here. That's when we reach out to others. That's when we ask for prayer. We start to get together with someone else. Can we meet and start talking about our relationship with God? Because there's some things I'm struggling with. I think we should all be willing to say those kinds of things. Okay? It also tells us, the fifth thing on your notes there, there are no second chances for those found unprepared there are no second chances for those found unprepared. unprepared. In, other, in other words, last-minute preparedness is not an option. 
It's just not going to be an option. Do you remember? Do you ever remember experiencing going to a class, maybe in high school or college, where you get to this class and you forgot that you had a test that day, and you only remembered that you had a test when the teacher said, "Okay, everybody, ready for our test today?" Do you remember that feeling? If you ever had it, because I've had it, <laughs> panic, sheer panic. Because what? You are completely unprepared. You know, you're praying for, oh, maybe she'll lecture for a half hour and I can, you know, maybe something's going to happen. Give me some time. Or what? No, it's sheer panic that we're not prepared. And this is the way it's going to be when Jesus returns, yet with much greater consequences that we saw a few weeks ago. He will return. Remember, he's going to return in a flash. He's going to come back like, bam, like that. No announcement, no warning signs, nothing. There's not going to be this, well, what's that noise? Ooh, that light, it's coming towards us. What is that? No, that's not going to way it's going to be. It's going to be instantaneous. Okay, Every, that's how it's going to work. And he will return in a way that is going to be going about, remember I talked about going about our daily business? We're just doing what we're doing. We're just doing our thing, teaching my class, you know, preparing for a sermon, doing whatever you're doing. And he comes. And then it will be too late to be prepared. There's no way someone can say, oh, I remember Sunday school now. Let me, let me, No. I remember what my friend told me, which you witnessed to me the other day. She told me about Jesus. Okay, uh, okay, I'm in. No, it's not going to work that way. British poet Lloyd Tennyson captured really the message of this, this verse really well, I thought. I'm not a, I'm not a poem guy. So I, I read it, I thought, okay, Becky might like this. She likes poems, I think. So I, I just, and, but I read this, I thought, wow, this really does capture he, he, in a poetic way what these verses are saying here. I'll put it up there and you can read along with it. It says, late, late so late and dark the night and chill. Late, late so late, but we can, we can enter still. Too late, too late. You cannot enter now. No light had we for that we do rep- Repent. And learning this, the bridegroom will relent. Too late, too late. You cannot enter now. No light, so late, and dark and chill the night. Oh, let us in that we may find the light. Too late, too late. You cannot enter now. Have we not heard the bridegroom is so sweet? I love that. Oh, let us in, though late, to kiss his feet. No, no, too late. You cannot enter now. Wow. That encapsulates the message of what's going to be like when Christ returns. The reality is that for those of us that are prepared for the return of Jesus, which could come at any moment, the result is amazing. The result is going to be glorious. The Bible um, speaks of being in his, immediately being in his presence, which is going to result in this fullness of joy and pleasure forever. Does that not sound like the kind of existence you want to have? Fullness of joy and pleasure forever. By the way, that's joy and pleasure that would rival any joy or pleasure we have ever experienced here by a bajillion, if that's a word. It is now. It, it will, all those will pale in, compar- in comparison for those that, of us um, that are ready for uh, his return. Yeah, for those who are unprepared, this is no small deal. And this is why 
talking about how important it is for us to be sharing our faith and living our faith to the world is so important because the results for those that are not prepared is going to be absolutely devastating. Devastating. Look what the Apostle Paul has to say about the ultimate outcome for those that are unprepared. It's in 2 Thessalonians. Look what he says. He says, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Is that an incredible reason to be sharing our faith with our friends and our relatives, co-workers, knowing that people we care about, and this isn't to be a guilt thing, but this is a, this is a reality, he's saying. This is a reality for those that are truly not prepared, an eternal reality. And unfortunately, this really applies to many who believe that they actually are prepared. You see, for someone to truly be prepared for the coming of Jesus means that, like we said, they have a relationship with him. It means that they're true followers of his. It means that they are a disciple. They are a disciple of his. What is that? What is a true disciple? You know, we, we throw that word, we throw that phrase around in, in church and in Christendom. We throw that around like crazy, to be his disciple. What, is that, what does that really mean? What does it really mean to look, what does it mean to know that we truly are a disciple of Jesus? Well, this word disciple, so you know, the word disciple in the Bible literally means committed learner and follower. That's what, it's, that's what, that should have been a little thing for you to fill out. It's a committed learner and follower. Look at what author of Discipleship Essentials book, Greg Ogden says. I think he puts it really well. He says, a disciple is one who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call of Jesus. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Jesus Christ to come alive in us. That is a disciple. But what does it look like? Okay, what does it practically look like then? Okay, well, let's look at some of these things. The first thing to be a disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus means to be a worshiper. That's the first one there, to be a worshiper of Jesus, okay? What that means is not only do we spend time uh, reflecting back to him all his incredible worth and his incredible glory like we just did and like I hope you do on your own occasionally where you spend time just telling Jesus how wonderful he is, how great he is. Not only does it, it's, it's that, but we spend time, it also means spending time alone and with other people in God's word and in prayer, Okay, what it means when we worshiping, worshiping Jesus means making, making knowing him the utmost priority in our lives. That's the biggest priority above anything else is knowing Jesus. Remember that old song just came to my mind, that old song, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. There's what? There is no greater thing. Remember that? It's just like, there is no greater thing than knowing Jesus. You're my all. You're the best. It's just such a great idea that this is, the whole, this is what a disciple is, wanting to know Jesus. Now, I know our sin nature comes and gets involved in all this and wants us to pull us away from all that, but that's what a disciple is, a worshiper of Jesus. Second, to be a disciple of Jesus means to be a servant as he was, a servant as he was. 
Remember what Jesus said, but whoever, in Matthew 20, he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reality is that we truly serve one another when we are willing to deny ourselves. And a lot of times what this means is really being willing to forego our own desired conveniences. Uh, this is one I've really been convicted of lately. So often I want to serve people, but then I'll go, ah, it's too late, I'm tired. Uh, I don't really want to go, feel like going. Or I don't feel like talking to the person. I don't feel like serving. That's what, a, that's what a disciple, a disciple is willing to go past that's going to make things inconvenient. I'm going to let that person that needs housing live with me. I'm going to let that whatever. Different, thing, different things, like anything like that is a powerful thing. How we show our love to others. Okay, finally, to be a disciple of Jesus means to be on mission. It means to be on mission. What this means is that as followers of Jesus, we all have a purpose. Every single one of you that claims to be a follower of Jesus has a purpose. And, we, and what's that purpose? The purpose is that we are all, in a sense, missionaries. We've all, we're all missionaries that have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with our friends, family, co-workers, and neighbors. So often I hear, oh, I'm just not evangelistic. Someone will say, oh, that's you, Lee. Lee, you're, you, you, know, you, you, you have the gift of evangelism. Okay, maybe he does. But we're all called to share our faith. We're all ca- called to let people know about the good news of the gospel of, of Christ. That's what that would need to be on mission. Remember, Jesus said this in Acts. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Power. When you nervously, like I do, nervously realize, oh, I'm being, this is an opening God's giving me to share. It's the power. You don't have to worry about the words you say. You say what you think you, the Spirit is giving you. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's going to make anything happen in that. Okay? He also says in John, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's our mission. We're being sent, whether it's overseas, next door, wherever. Okay? Jesus, okay, let's wrap this up. Jesus now puts this parable really into context with this whole thing he's been talking about, about being ready for his return, being prepared, okay? Look at the last verse. Verse 13 says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. In other words, what he's saying is always, always be prepared. I love what commentator Frederick Bruner writes. He says, have your Christian life so in, so in order that when you are surprised, you will be ready. I love that. What that means is we go about our daily lives, okay? We go about our daily lives try, helping ourselves to remember to be intentional about living by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit as a true disciple. How, God, do I live as a disciple? How do I do that? What are you calling me to do on a daily basis? John Wesley was asked a great question. I love this. He was asked a question, what would you do if you knew that the Lord would return this time tomorrow? What would you do? I'm sure this person was thinking, John Wesley, he's going to do some amazing, he's going to pull out his best sermons, all this stuff. Look what John Wesley says in effect. He says, I will go to bed and go to sleep, wake up in the morning 
and go on with my work, for I would want him to find me doing what he had appointed. That's being prepared. That's not being perfect, but it's living our life as a disciple. Begging and asking Jesus, show me what it means to be a disciple. A disciple that's prepared. Help me to help other people be prepared. May we be like these five wise virgins who with a saving faith have de- we determined that whenever Jesus is to come, whether, whether it's after lunch today or whether it's you know, in, in the distant future, that we will look forward with eagerness and, and with joy and anticipation with his return as we live out our lives as true disciples of his to being prepared for his return. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it challenges us on so many levels. Thank you, God, that you give us the power. You give us the ability to live as disciples. We just can't do it. I I fail so much. So God, help us. Help us all here to live as you desire us to live, God to be prepared, whatever, however that looks like in our context of being retired or sitting in a cubicle or being a student, whatever we're doing, that we're prepared by being a disciple, by being a follower of yours. Help us. We need your help to do that. Thank you that you want to give us that power, and it's so readily available to us. In Christ's name, amen.